This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. He's back. He throws for the end zone. There's a man wide open. Touchdown, Tyler Boyd on the outcut. And that is a real quick scoring drive to put the Bengals in position to tie this thing up. I think Artie's, you know, has to play more consistently. He knows that, you know, we got to... A lot of times we've got to get, make sure we concentrate on every play and try to get all those things right, just all the little things, and we'll get that put together this week. That is Steelers' new secondary coach, Tom Bradley, talking about Artie Burns. Not a good day for Artie, not a good season for Artie Burns. Jerry Dulac from the Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network joins us now. Jerry's brought to us by the pub at the Tony Dale in Oakdale. $3 Bud Light 16-ounce aluminum bottles during all Steelers games. You'll have to wait a week and a half to enjoy that. How are you, Jer? I'm good, Stan. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Uh, it's pretty clear that Artie Burns is going to watch a good portion of the Browns game from the bench, uh, it looks like. Uh, what are the long-term plans with this guy? Well, we'll see what will happen, Stan, but I tend to agree. I think, though, um, you know, I don't know how much of that uh, rotation – uh, will continue. If it does, it'll, the rotation will not favor Artie Burns. Um, you know, it's too early to give up on the guy, um, but it's disappointing to them, not to mention, of course, the Steeler fans, but it's disappointing to them because what they saw in training camp was a guy who looked like he was ready to assert himself and be a, you know, a, a nice you know, I don't want to say top-notch corner, but you know what I mean, a guy that they could rely on. Joe Hayden said he looks like he's ready to be a number one cornerback. Um, and and what we're seeing is the same old things we've seen with Artie Burns. Um, you know, it has nothing to do with talent or ability. It has to do with understanding his assignments and knowing down and distance and, you know, understanding where his help is sometimes. It's those things, and it keeps repeating itself, and that's what's disturbing. So, um, you know, do you get a guy's attention and he starts paying more attention to detail by sitting him down, or is it a case where he's a guy who just won't get it? And, um, I, I, you know, we'll, we'll see. But they're not ready to give up on him by any stretch. But I do think you will see some reduced playing time. They were not real happy with that pass interference penalty. The touchdown was one thing. Uh, you know, he's he's believing that he had help somewhere. And uh, I know he said he was anticipating a post, but what he was anticipating was that he had help somewhere where he didn't, and that was his fault. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're being pretty hard on uh, Artie, despite what they might be saying publicly. And uh, so I, I just think you're going to, uh, you know, to your point, the, uh, less and less playing time, at least certainly here in the short term. Yeah, he did not uh, appear after that pass interference penalty. Right. I, I realize, Jerry, that you know this is pure speculation, um, and you know we're not coaches. Um, but you know, you talk about how he came back to camp engaged, and you know, generally third year guys come into their own. Um, he certainly had some issues the first couple of years, but you know, he's got physical talent. 
uh, how did he deteriorate so quickly from what was generally perceived to be a really good training camp to the point now where you, you can't even trust him to put him on the field in any circumstance? Well, I think what happens, Stan, is, you know, teams start game planning. And, and, you know, when you're in training camp, you have a rough idea what the other guy's doing. Uh, you know, things are obviously nobody's scheming against you. And, uh, and, and, and that's what's happening in these games. Um, you know, they're not targeting Artie Burns and saying, let's go after this guy. As a, as a rule, I'm not saying that they don't. But um, I, I think the disconnect, you know, Stan comes in the games. And, you know, that's why I always say that about camp and the preseason and everything. I go, let's wait until the real games start. And you can get excited about a guy in camp all you want. Uh, but until you see them playing games and see what they have, see what they got, as they say, um, then, you know, that that's the true barometer. And what we see from Artie on a re- repeated basis, unfortunately, is more gaffes than, than production. What does he have to say about his performance, if anything? Well, he, there were a lot of one-word answers yesterday, Stan. I'll tell you that. I mean, Artie, I like Artie. He's a good kid. Uh, the Steelers like him, um, you know, but that doesn't doesn't mean they like his performance on the field. And he was very short yesterday with his answers uh, when he was asked about uh, different things. And, um, you know, I saw him today as he was uh, exiting the locker room. And, you know, we just chatted briefly. But, um, you know, he's a guy he's a guy who doesn't seem to lose confidence. But I don't think there's any question he has, Stan. And, um uh, but again, you know, his issues are more understanding what's going on and, and you know, not kind of zoning out on, on the football field as he does from time to time. I'm not saying he's playing in a fog, but, you know, you have to pay more attention to the little things, and he's just obviously not doing that. Yeah, I don't understand that. Um, uh, I mean, I don't. It's his third year here. Um, he really was a starter from the get-go. And one of the things about him, and I don't pretend to know him, but one of the things that was impressive, um, you know, he brought his younger brother up here, taking care of him, uh, enrolled him in school up here, right? Uh, and I thought that showed a sign of maturity. Uh, it, you know, but you're not very mature if you're not paying attention to details in your job. Yeah, Stan, I, I would agree with you. And that goes back to what I said about, the, you know, Artie's a, Artie's a good kid. He really is. He's well-intentioned. The guys like him. Um, but, uh, you know, the, it's, it's just not happening on the field. And, um, you know, obviously he's more exposed as a cornerback. You're going to see his flaws a whole lot more than you're going to see Bud Dupree's, for example. Um, and, unfortunately, there were two of them the other day. I mean, there's no excuse on a short touchdown pass for Tyler Boyd to be open as wide as he was. And then, of course, the, the pass interference just, you know, basically just pushing the guy out. I, I mean, come on. Uh, you know, and it, it wasn't like he had beaten you badly and you went to grab his jersey or tackled you. Um, those are the kinds of things that just, you know, they're just not very smart plays, Dan. Uh, undoubtedly. Jerry Dulac of the Post-Gazette, the Steeler Radio Network, is our guest. Uh, Jerry, about possible solutions. If he's going to sit, I offered this. Uh, in the postgame show with Charlie Batch, uh, I thought Cam Sutton had himself a heck of a ball game Sunday at Cincinnati. It was really a physical mismatch with the tight end. I thought he acquitted himself uh, very well. I know they've tried him there before. Um, 
I mean, would that be a possible? I mean, to me, you know, Cody Sensabaugh is what he is, and he's a roster guy, and that's about it. Uh, would there be any thought to starting Cam Sutton on the corner against the Browns, or will that depend on Morgan Burnett's health so he can be that dime linebacker and then allow them to move Sutton to the corner? Uh, yeah, Stan, I mean, you know, you're not going to see Cam Sutton play Morgan Burnett's role as the linebacker. Oh, he may he may fill in there, you know, on paper, but he's not playing the same role. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a possibility uh, for sure. Um, I still think you might see Cody Sensabaugh, though, you know, Cody, they, they I don't want to say they think he's their best cover corner because that's not true. That's Joe Hayden. But they like the fact that he covers well. And um, so my guess is that you will continue to see, uh, in this instance, I think you will see Cody Sensabaugh start and, and, you know, mixing in, uh, you know, with, with Cam Sutton. But I'm, I'm with you. I like Cam Sutton. Um, I like his attitude. I like his athleticism. And, um, you, know, I, I, you know, if I see more of Cam Sutton, I don't have a problem with that. All right. Um, let me switch. To, we haven't even talked about Vontez Burfick. Here we are. <laughs> We're an hour and 11 minutes into the show or whatever. We haven't even mentioned him uh, when he was the topic. Um, I, I thought it was very interesting. Um, and this was my take yesterday, Jerry. I, I think that the NHL Players Association is complicit uh, in this for continuing to defend their member, uh, union member. But then Antonio Brown is a union member. Juju Smith-Schuster is a union member as well. Uh, and I thought it was interesting that uh, Marcus Gilbert, very well-spoken, said he should be suspended. Joe Thomas, not in the league anymore, but as respected a guy as you can get, called for perfect to be suspended for the rest of the year. Does, does that seem to be the sentiment with the rest of the players? Oh, I agree, Stan. Uh, you know, obviously – Three game suspensions, and I think his number is up over six hundred thousand uh, dollars or more in fines when you count the suspensions. What he's losing it might be up over eight hundred now. Um, obviously, that's not working because this guy continues to play the same way. He's just two games back from suspension. Now I know it's a different reason; it's PEDs, not for uh, discipline, uh, and and his his act is the same. This guy is out to hurt people. In addition to that forearm shiver, there were a couple leads with the helmets. That's what this guy does. He's a bad person, uh, Stan. There's one thing about being an, uh, you know, a, a kind of an over-the-edge player um, who you know, maybe a little dirty, plays beyond the whistle. This guy is that and more. He's a bad person. And the only, uh, to me, um, you suspend him for the year, and, and now he's, he's on the clock. If he does it again... Now it's two years. You treat him like a, to me, like a, um, you know, a guy, you know, for, for who violates the drug policy, and um, uh, you know, he's the only guy in the league like that, Stan. And it's amazing to me why the Bengals continue to tolerate and and coddle this guy and his behavior. I know he's a good player, but at what point do you keep uh, condoning that and and going along with it? And we saw him cost them, him and the other. Thug Adam Jones cost them a playoff game a couple years ago against the Steelers, took money out of the players' pockets, and it will continue to do so with this type of guy. But beyond but beyond the Bengals, the league needs to step in, and I, I'm all for it. I agree. 
not because I sit there and say, oh, this guy hurts the Steelers, because he's just a bad egg, a bad person, and a, and a beyond-dirty player, and I think he should be suspended for the year for doing what he did again to Antonio Brown with the same forearm shiver that he took him out in the playoff game. Uh, not to mention, uh, it's kind of been verified, the threats that he made to Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, we saw the video of him pointing at him uh, twice and, and validated by uh, Juju and, and Ben talking about it. Um, I, I honestly think, uh, and I'm drawing a parallel here, and I'll see what you think about this. Uh, there was no drug trust, uh, testing in baseball. And, yes, there was a congressional committee, and Sammy Sosa uh, and Paul Merrill were made to look foolish and McGuire and all that kind of stuff. But what really pushed the union to accept drug testing was other players. Major League players said, we're calling out those guys. We do not want to be painted with a broad brush, to borrow a Tomlin phrase, because we're clean, they're dirty, they're giving all's a bad name. I think that a non-aggrieved party, not a stealer because it sounds like, well, you hit our guy, they need somebody from the Chiefs, somebody from the Cowboys, somebody from the Seahawks say, that's not what we're about. I mean, And, and if they find him, you just mentioned, he's got 600000 in fines. What does he make, $8 million a year? So what? It obviously has no effect on him, and yet all we hear, Jerry, is that he might get a fine, no suspension. Dan, I, I agree with you. I don't know that that's going to happen. But to your point, that to me needs to happen internally from his own team. Yeah. It needs to happen if it's not from a player from the Bengals, from Marvin Lewis, from the owner, Mike Brown. It needs to happen that they say, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. But from a player standpoint, uh, I get it. And, Stan, that's why, just go back a couple years, and this is what I just don't comprehend. Somewhat to your point, but a little different, uh, little different scenario um, after that 2015 playoff game where Adam Jones' uh, uh, you know, nonsense cost them that game, if you were a player, you know, the Bengals very easily, they had a good team. They, they could have and should have won that game. They could have maybe won another game. They could have gone to the Super Bowl. Now as a player, you realize these two guys cost you that opportunity. They handed the Steelers that victory, let's face it. So the following year, you then not only reward Adam Jones with a $20 million contract extension, you make him the defensive captain. Now, exactly. if you were a player on that team and you see that behavior being rewarded in that manner, what are you going to think? I don't think it's any surprise, Dan, and I know they had injuries, that the Bengals after that were 13-17-1 or 13-18-1 or whatever the total was. Um, that's no surprise to me because if you're a player, that's the way you feel. So to your point, I could see a player coming out and saying, yeah, hey, look, we're not, you know, come out against him, one of their own players, and force the Bengals to do something. Maybe they do it quietly. I don't expect it to happen publicly. But I could see a player on another team saying that because, and, 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 you know, of the, of the type of guy he is. And not some quarterback. You know, maybe some lineman, some other tough lineman or something who you wouldn't expect it from, who say, you know, say, hey, we don't all want to be treated that way. And James Harrison was not an older boy, and he had some vicious hits. But once they started finding him, he ne- I never thought James Harrison was anywhere near the type of player Vontez Burfitt is. They're not even in the same category. 
Montez Burford is a bad person who wants to hurt you. James Harrison just wanted to hit you as hard as he could. I totally agree with you, uh, and that's why uh, I'm, I'm sorry Joe Thomas isn't still in the league, but he still carries, right. he's, right. he's a very respected voice, uh, you know, 20,000 consecutive snaps. Um, and, and, yeah, so the Bengals, they wonder why they can't win a playoff game because that's the culture. That's the leadership. Here, you two thugs, you're our captains. Shame on right. Marvin Lewis. Um, and right. you're right. Somebody on that team, I don't know what kind of people they are, but, you know, and Atkins uh, presumably is a good guy. Um, you know, a lot of the players. Were... A couple guys, absolutely. Yeah. How about them yeah. going and say, hey, you just cost us. Uh, you know, we're not going to, or let them go to management and say, we don't want them on the team anymore. You know, Stan, this is repeated behavior by the Bengals. It, you know, it goes back to when nobody would draft Ahmad Brooks, the linebacker from wherever the heck he was from because of all the nonsense that this guy, uh, you know, whether always off the field issues, always issues on the field, nobody drafted him. He went to the supplemental draft. The Bengals took him because you could get a first-round talent for a cheap price, and Ahmad Brooks was, but nobody would touch him because of his character. The Bengals took him. The Bengals took Chris Henry, who was, uh, you know, Adam Jones, uh, uh, you know, thug made at West Virginia. Then they sign Adam Jones. They, they take Vontez Burfitt because they could get him on the cheap when nobody would touch that first-round talent in the draft. That's its repeated behavior by the Bengals, bringing in guys like Wallace Gilberry, but he's not even in the same league as those other guys. Yep. That's what they do. They continue to do it. I'm surprised. I know why they do it because they get first-round talent on the cheap, and they think, I don't know what they think, whether they're going to rehab them or what. But it's the same pattern by these guys, and it just shocks me that Marvin Lewis not only tolerates it, but coddles those guys. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. Um, what more do you need? What more do you need? Jerry, great stuff. Thanks very much. Uh, enjoy the bye week, and we'll look forward to talking again next week before the Cleveland game. Stan, I will, and I'll talk to you next week. All right, Jerry. Take care. That is Jerry Thank Dulac, you. you bet, of the Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network. He's brought to us by the pub at the Tony Dale in Oakdale. $3 Bud Light, 16-ounce aluminum bottles during all Steelers games. We continue talking about the Steelers, and they lead the NFL in sacks and could be on pace. Well, actually, they are on pace for a team record. They had 56 last year, which was a single-season record. Right now, with the sacks they have, they're on pace for 59. But you know what? That's not enough. You can't say, oh, look at all the sacks we have, and then say, oh, good, we've got a great defense. Uh, No, those two don't always connect. I'll explain why. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Protector gets a fake. Oh, Big rush and a sack for Stefan it. Back outside the 40, make it the 45-yard line. He's very, very good with the details. Um, he definitely just wants to get us uh, technically sound. He uh, wants us to be able to tackle. That's one big thing that he uh, emphasizes, tackling, um, technique, and communication. So um, we, he just the main things that we've been needing to work on, you know, so he's been doing a great job, and of course, he's been doing a great job you know, handling it. That's Joe Hayden talking about second new secondary coach, Tom Bradley. And sacks are a good thing. Don't get me wrong. Sacks are a good thing. Now, let me answer the trivia question because you know I'll forget it, right? 
I will. Hold that thought. Sacks are, are a good thing. It's like the beginning of Animal House. Knowledge is good. Sacks are good. All right, so here are the Steelers. Actually, second now in the NFL in sacks. Second, because the Ravens lead. They had 11, and that'll put you to the top very quickly. So the Steelers have 22, and they are on pace to set a record. And I still think Baltimore's a bit overrated, but okay. But consider the third and fourth teams in sacks, both with 19 thus far. Buffalo and Indianapolis, they have good defenses. Now, I realize that Buffalo has issues offensively, but my point is sacks are good, but they do not portend great defense. For example, I made a couple of notes of this. On two of the occasions, Sunday, the Steelers had three sacks. On two of the occasions, unless my math is wrong, The Bengals came back and got first downs. So let's say you sack Dalton or whoever the quarterback is, whatever team you're playing, and now it's second and 14. That's a good thing. What difference does it make if you give up the yardage, give it back to them, and they end up with a first down? The idea is to put the team behind the chains. Now, if it's a third down sack, you're forcing a punt. But there are a couple of occasions where they got sacks, first down, Good, that's a good thing. But then you give it back. And even if you allow them to get most of the 14 yards back and even force a punt, you've changed field position. Certainly a sack not only can disrupt a drive, but it should disrupt a drive. I mean, if you get a sack, unless it's a one-yard loss, I suppose, but if you've got a team second and, and 14, or if it happens on second down, it's third and 12 or whatever it is, that's the idea. Maybe there's an intimidation factor there, and you want to bang the quarterback around a little bit and make him a little gun-shy. Okay. But the idea is to disrupt your opponent's drive. And we've all seen that even though the Steelers are second in the NFL in sacks now, we can't sit here and say they've got a good defense. One does not necessarily follow the other. So merely talking about getting sacks, again, that's a good thing. Um, You want to get pressure on the quarterback. Absolutely. Everybody understands that. But that doesn't make you a good defense. Now, in the Ravens' case, to this point, they're pretty good defense. I still, hey, they lead the division. I, I, I think they're better than Cincinnati, but I don't know that I would rank them up there. It wouldn't at all surprise me. We'll see what happens if the Steelers overtake them. 
But merely getting a lot of sacks, you don't want to be disruptive, but the whole idea is to disrupt the drive. That's good defense. And I honestly don't think the Steelers played poor defensively against the Bengals. If you would have told me that they would give up 21 points to the Bengals before the game started, I would say, I can live with that. I can win with that. I think by and large, they did a pretty good job. The problem is that last drive. That's where a defense has got to step up. And they didn't. 412-922-2874, pound 970. Let's hit the phone lines. Jason's on the cell. Hey, Jason. Hey, Stan. Thanks for taking my call, buddy. You bet. Hey, I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about Burfecht. Um, Palsy mentioned something. Uh, he said, like, you know, when you're in a rivalry game like this, uh, sometimes stuff goes overboard. And I know a lot of people disagreed with him, but I started thinking about it, and I really don't hear much about Burfecht acting that way in other games. I mean, has he been suspended against other teams, or is this more like – kind of a Steeler-Bengals thing where he goes crazy to try and hurt the Steelers because of their history? That's a great question. Um, He has been suspended. Of course, now, the the latest suspension uh, is for PED, so that doesn't apply here. Um, To the best of my knowledge, and maybe someone can help me out here, and that's that's a good thing. I I, I can look that up um, after the show. Um, The suspensions he's gotten for hits, if I'm not mistaken— are for hits in Steelers games. Uh, I'm trying to remember. He's had, I think this this one is his fourth suspension. Some are four fines and three suspensions. Um, we know about the one with the Antonio Brown situation, um, and that was in the playoff game in 15. That's a great question, Jason. I don't know the answer to that. It was just a Steeler thing with him. It got me thinking because you guys were talking about, you know, maybe needing another player from another team to step up and say something. But if it's not happening to them, who's going to come out and defend the Steelers? It's kind of like, you know, what do they care if if it's happening to the Steelers, especially, you know, as as the Steelers being one of the better teams in the league who a lot of teams like to beat, you know? Yeah, but I I think think that's not really the point. My point is that a, a player from the Chiefs or, you know, Viking, whoever it is, it shouldn't be necessarily about, yeah, he hurt our guy too. It should be about, we don't want this in the game. We don't want anybody to do this to anybody. We don't want this to not only be a perfect Antonio Brown thing, <clears throat> we don't want this to be anything in the NFL. It's not who we are. It's not what we want. That's why I drew the analogy about the baseball players. When, you know, the PED users, the guys who were clean said, no, we we don't want to be identified with those guys. That's why a guy like Joe Thomas, I realize he just retired, but we're talking about doing something for the good of the game. And I believe 98% of the players in the NFL, if not more, are saying, that's not what we're about. We're not out there to hurt people. We're out there to win. We're out there to play hard. We're out there to play tough. This guy, we do not want this guy perfect being the poster boy for NFL players. So it shouldn't matter whether or not your team is the team that was targeted. Yeah, you're right, Stan, especially with the, with the climate of the NFL right now with injuries. 
Um, you know, I mean, I, but I still think a lot of those guys, they're, they're probably not going to say anything unless it hits close to home. But, I mean, you make a good point, so uh, yeah, thanks, Dan. All right, Jason, thank you very much. Take care. Um, you bet. Um, it's a good point, and, and I, I'm, I'm looking this up. <clears throat> we know about the Antonio Brown hit. Uh, Burfick drew nearly a $70,000 fine in December of 2015 for a combination of two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties and a hit on Ben Roethlisberger in a loss to Steelers. Then a month later, of course, we had the the uh, the three-game suspension. Actually, as I remember, it was a four, and they dropped the three in the Antonio Brown situation. Um, it goes way beyond. So, so what we know about the NFL, um, it appears that it has been primarily against the Steelers. By the way, Burfick, in fewer than 70 career games, has racked up more than $2 million in career fines and lost pay. He gets suspended. He doesn't get paid. By the way, when he was in high school in California, he had problems there. He had problems at Arizona State. (coughs) So this is not anything new. And Jerry Dulac was right. He was graded a top, I shouldn't say top, a first-round talent at Arizona State, but no one would touch him. Because of these issues. And Jerry's right. They were looking for a bargain. By the way, the first fine he got, he had a Packers tight end named Ryan Taylor. He need him right in the groin. That's what he does. In the game against Buffalo in October of 2013, three 15-yard penalties. He speared a Jets wide receiver, 21,000. He got a $25,000 penalty for twisting the ankles of Cam Newton and Greg Olson. And we've seen him do that to the Steelers. So while he apparently hasn't been suspended for what he's done against other teams, He has been penalized and fined. So, yeah, he's gone after Juju, and he's gone after DeCastro and Ben, and especially Antonio Brown. But I just read off the litany of other issues. How much more do they need to see? If you're in the bottom of a pile and you're twisting a guy's ankle because you think no one's watching, what is the intent of that? to injure him. And that's what these players are saying. We don't want to be associated with that. That's why other players have to step up. And I agree with Jerry. If a Bengal would say something in the locker room to him, I don't know how much that would do now. 
But it's good enough reason to root for the Bengals. And yes, nice guy Marvin Lewis to lose every game they play. Maybe you do that anyway. Even when they play the Browns, you should root for the Browns to beat the Bengals until either Perfect is gone, Lewis is gone, or Mike Brown is gone. Nick Boza is leaving Ohio State University to get ready for the draft. Your thoughts on that? We'll talk about that next. Saverin on Sports, ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Here's what scouts care about. Can you help my team win? It's not like this kid has a character issue. It's not like he's lazy. It's not like he doesn't play hard. It's not like he doesn't have all the talent in the world to back it up. It's an injury. So, yeah, they don't give a crap. This kid is going to be a top five pick. He's going to be a, a, a monster at the next level as well. So there is zero impact on his draft stock. That is ESPN's David Pollock talking about Nick Boza and his decision to leave the Ohio State University so he can prepare for the NFL draft. And I mentioned that Todd McShay, one of ESPN's draft analyst has him still rated number one on the board months in advance, but I don't know what Mel Kuyper has, but he's a very high pick. He's a top five pick. Some people believe that he is a better player than his brother, Joey, who also left a year early to go to the NFL. He's been kind of injury prone for the Chargers, but when he's played, he's been pretty darn good. Now, we have seen semblances of this before. Some players, if their teams were not competing for the national championship, they were just playing in, quote, a garden variety bowl, would say, I'm not playing. Remember, Leonard Fournette did that coming out of LSU before being drafted by Jacksonville. Sorry. Not sorry. He decided that not going to play in a game that really doesn't have national championship implications. Other players have said, no, I'm going to stick with my team. Christian McCafferty out of Stanford, drafted number one by Carolina. He said, no, I'm going to play with my team, even though they weren't playing in the NCAA's Final Four. Here's the deal with Boza. There are, to me, there are a couple of intriguing aspects to this. Number one, Boza's been hurt, and he had surgery on a core muscle. Uh, apparently, it was a, I don't know if it was a hernia. I don't know if it was an abdominal issue with him. But whatever, He's been injured and hasn't played a great deal. And it's also a circumstance where Ohio State's done pretty well without him. Close call against Penn State, but here they are. They're undefeated, and they're ranked number two in the country. And there's still ways to go, but right now, given their schedule, there's a real possibility that they're in the Final Four. 
So it's not like, for example, using Leonard Fournette as an example, you know, it's early January and they're playing somebody in the Pomegranate Bowl and who cares? They could be playing for the national championship. So it's different in that regard. And his injury also gives him, I think, more credibility. i got to get this thing healed so that I can prove to the scouts that I'm worthy of a very high pick, if not number one overall. We're talking about his future. And I get that. The national championship aspect puts a little bit of a different twist on it. And let me say this. As far as allegiances are concerned, I don't think he owes anything to the university. He wasn't obligated there to play for a full four years. The only obligation, and I I would think, I don't know the kid, I would think the one thing that would reverberate a little bit would allegiance to his teammates. To kind of leave them behind like that. I mean, I'm sure the same thing would be true of a guy like Fournette or somebody in that exact same circumstance not playing in a bowl game. Even if you were an underclassman and you were declaring for the NFL draft. I would think, but especially in this circumstance, the one thing that may have sort of stuck in Nick Bose's craw is he's played with these guys for a while and they've got something big on the line. I would think that would be as big a determinant as anything. In any event, I understand. And again, if he owes anybody an apology, if it would be to his teammates and his buddies, not Urban Meyer, the coaching staff, or the Ohio State University. Tomorrow on the show, busy, busy day. Mark Madden will join us. Rob King will join us. It's Stan and Guy Day tomorrow. Tunch Ilkin has written a book. Yes. And he's going to talk about it with me and Guy tomorrow at 120. Talking all about his book will give you all the information that you need.